Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am really excited about this guest. Her name is Carrie Hallard. She is both the CEO of Global Sourcing Association, or GSA, and also the chair of the Global Technology and Business Services Council, or GTNBSC. So, now that I've got that out of the way, Kerry is a very busy lady. Those two organizations, you can go and look them up online, and we will also provide the links for you in the show notes, um, but they are doing a lot for the world of outsourcing. Uh, they are trying to standardize a lot of what is happening within the outsourcing world, a lot of the standards, a lot of the standard terms, uh, and also the thoughts around the positioning of the industry trying to get a better rap for the good that outsourcing is doing globally. So it's a really fascinating conversation with Kerry. She is doing some great work out there. There's a lot of fantastic resources that they have developed that of course we mentioned on the podcast and you can also access also. So um, I certainly learned a ton and I hope that you will too. Uh, as always, the show notes are at outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. So, Kerry, it's uh, we've chatted just before the show, and I think we have so much to cover. I, I don't know how we're going to get through it all, but I'm really excited to have you on board. You are the CEO of GSA UK and also the chair of Global Technology and Business Services Council. Uh, so, I suppose we can start this just by you introducing both of those uh, organizations. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so, yes, I'm the chief exec of the Global Sourcing Association, GSA. Um, we're an industry association and professional body um, that really looks after the, the best practice of 
the buying and the delivery of technology and business services. So um, we actually, in, in our former carnation, were known as the National Outsourcing Association, um, but we rebranded um, 10 years ago to Global Sourcing because, of course, this is very much a global industry. And the work of the association is not just on, you know, how to help organisations outsource and outsource well, but it's also, you know, if they want to set up a, a global um, business services centre or do shared services or even in-source, we're there to provide that best practice. So we're a social enterprise. Um, we're a member-funded uh, body. Everything that we do is really focused on um, improving and growing uh, the, the, the industry. So lots of work on best practice, lots of work on standards, on professional development, on qualifications, but also on a vision of where the industry um, needs to go. And I think that's probably a fairly good segue into the Global Technology and Business Services Council. Yeah, I have so many questions on that already, but introduce the, the other association and then we can sort of loop back. Yeah, so obviously, as I sort of said, you know, we're very much focused on this being a, a global industry. Um, and so I don't know what, what what your experience is, but here in the here in the UK, the outsourcing industry has had its reputation muddied quite a lot, largely because, you know, some big government contracts went over budget and, you know, there was always this perception of, you know, British jobs being offshored and being lost overseas. And, you know, for different reasons, the, the, the outsourcing industry didn't always have the best reputation in, in the mind of the, the British media and, and, and the British public. So when the pandemic hit, and it was the partnerships all around the world that quickly mobilized businesses of every nature to actually be able to deliver services from, um, from a remote um, environment. It was the business partnerships all around the world that enabled that to happen. They didn't just keep the lights of you know, industry on. They, they kept the wheels of industry absolutely turning. So we saw this as being an opportunity to actually reposition the outsourcing industry the way that we've always known it to be, as being an industry that is really focused on partnering, on collaboration, on transforming, on innovating. Um, but we also realised that it wasn't just the industry in the UK, it was global partnerships, you know, it was um, businesses all around the world that was helping UK companies, global companies to, to, to carry on delivering. Um, so I reached out to um, a lot of the different industry associations I know around the world and just sort of said, I think this is an opportunity for us to work on a global vision and a global repositioning of, of the industry in, in light of the pandemic. So, you know, everybody came on board. Um, and as, as such, we, we launched the Global Technology and Business Services Council, which is an alliance of 12 of the industry associations around the world. And we worked collaboratively on a positioning document that positioned how well the industry had performed um, at the time of the pandemic. But then since then, we have run a number of different events um, and a lot of thought leadership on where the industry is going globally. So um, hopefully that gives you a little bit of an introduction um, as to, to the GSA and also the GT and BSC. That's amazing. And so much to unpack there. I'll, I'll maybe just start from the, the top. With GSA, you you know, we were speaking before the, the show um, a lot of it is about clarifying terminology and it is such a sort of disparate 
industry in terms of what people call things and just really sort of aligning on what you do. Your your name is sourcing, and that can also be confused with physical manufacturing, offshoring of you know production. Is am I right in assuming it is just uh, staff services, professional services? Yeah, absolutely. It's the it's um it's the, the sourcing of it's we call it strategic sourcing. So sourcing of technology and business services. Um, it's not the sourcing of um, pens pencils, office equipment. Mm. It's not facilities management. Um, it really is um, all related to technology and business services. So whether that is customer service, whether that is digital transformation, whether that's finance and accounts or legal, you know, all of those type of professional services um, and technology services are are within our, you know, within our remit, really. Great. And sort of a segue to that then is, I know the the sort of the nature of the bigger associations that you're dealing with within the GT and BSC. Um, a lot of them focus on the sort of older school call centers, the bigger industry, you know, the big employers where it's it's more sort of call center based work, not necessarily saying they're on telephones, but as opposed to what might be the next gen of global employment, which is this sort of staff augmentation, which might appeal more to the SME market. Do you see those two within your sort of catchment? Do you see this sort of staff augmentation on the horizon and, and sort of growing? How do, how do you see those two different aspects of outsourcing and offshoring? And I suppose, you know, just in addition to that, a distant cousin is kind of all of the, you know, the freelancers, the gig workers and Upwork and things like that. How do you see the marrying of all of those sort of tangential industries yeah so it is it's changing it's changing on a pin the industry is growing it's growing rapidly um genesis um global business services predicted to trip to tip the trillion dollar industry this year and obviously customer uh, service being a huge element within within the, the overall global industry size. So, um, so yeah, we we call it now um, technology enabled business service delivery. So we're seeing a complete fusion of technology and business services. So you know, it's it's how technology is enabling us to improve any type of business service delivery. And obviously, that's a, a key component within the the. We don't call it call center industry anymore. We we, mm. we prefer to term it all um, customer experience and customer experience delivery. And obviously technology is really improving the, the way that we deliver customer um, experience. Um, we have for, for three years now said that open talent is probably the biggest game changer to the outsourcing industry since the advent of offshoring. So open talent is what we term the, the industry for, for, for gig workers. You, you probably right. know the stats. They, they, they were published by Gartner that by 2027, I think it is, or was it 2025? 20, I think it's 2027. Um, more than half of the United States workforce will be freelance workers. So there's a massive move um, to individuals wanting to work for themselves and work from anywhere. And obviously that has now been enabled by the by the pandemic. Anybody can work remotely these days. And you know, Gen Z are all voting with their feet to really to be able to work for them for themselves from where they want to work. So so yeah, our industry absolutely has to get on board with um, 
open talent because we have got a global talent crisis. I know there are lots of pockets of, you know, unemployment and youth unemployment in, in areas around the world. And I know South Africa and other countries within Africa have got a huge unemployment crisis. Um, but, you know, we, we overall have a, a global talent crisis and we've got to we've got to embrace um, open talent. And we've been doing work on this as I say, for a number of years. And I think a lot of the service providers out there are now recognising that they need to augment their workforce with open talent workers. Um, and, you know, there's there's some that aren't doing that. They just don't get it. And I think they're going to be the laggards in this industry. You know, everybody needs to onboard with, with open talent and, and build or, or harness open talent platforms. And it, it just demonstrates, you know, I um, I obviously fairly familiar with the industry and I've never heard that term. And it just sort of it illustrates the need to sort of standardize what people are talking about in standardized terms. I suppose it's a bit dogmatic to say everyone needs to call this this, but um, it is such a diverse industry, isn't it? And there's so many different solutions and there's a lot that sort of work um, beside each other and, and don't even know that there's kind of replication there. Um, one big growing market and this is sort of the market that i really focus on or the sort of growing opportunity i believe is and we refer to it as generally as staff augmentation which is really just kind of normal employees working within smes um but they are offshore you know and they are remote typically working within a sort of bpo setting but the bpos are less uh, you know call center to use a, a sort of an older term um and they're more they're almost like we work sitting in sort of the Philippines or India, they manage all of the employment and, and all of the legals, um, but effectively the deliverables are managed by the employer. And so it's really just more akin to standard employment. Um, and this is booming, you know, and I believe because as you mentioned, like technology is really the, the big facilitator to all of this with with the way that sort of technological interfaces are all happening and everyone's online and everyone's sort of on Skype and Slack and um, things like that, uh, the next generation, all of them, I think, will start to employ people based on capability um, and cost as opposed to, you know, where they happen to be sitting instead of like a local market. And I just see, you know, we have done the numbers and I think that there's going to be another 40 million jobs offshored over the next sort of 10 to 20 years as a result of that sort of just um, general trend. Uh, it's huge, isn't it? You know, and then I, all of this fits within this umbrella and, you know, as you say, open talent as well and then the more traditional kind of roles. But um, regardless, this whole thing is about to kind of explode, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, going back to one of the points you made about, you know, standard standard terms, you know, it's a global industry and, you know, buyers are buying from multiple different delivery destinations, um, you know, um, all, all, you know, all the, all the time. And that's just growing and growing, growing like, like, like topsy. So I think as a as an industry, as a global industry, we've got a whole host of work to do to actually move towards more standardization and more standard terms. So, you know, as as um, as. As, as my role as chair of the Global Technology and Business Services Council, you know, we, we meet every month uh, and the members of that, that council are 
IAOP in the in the US, very much a buy side uh, nation, but it's also um, outsourced Malaysia, obviously in Malaysia, it's BPAP for the Philippines, it's ITDA for Egypt, it's BPESA for South Africa, to name just some of them. But you know, every every month we get on and go, what, what are your updates? And it'll be right, Outsource Malaysia has just launched their 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 um their, their terminology and their roles and their roadmap for how well they're going to you know perform and the the, the different skills matrices you know for the customer service industry well simultaneously you, you know just beforehand you know it has done that for for egypt and bps has done that for south africa so they've all done a huge body of work independently saying these are these are the number of individuals we're going to have in each of these roles. These are what we're going to call them. Um, these are the competencies and capabilities we're going to have for agents at this level. These are the competencies and capabilities we're going to have for customer delivery agents at you know the level above. So independently, every country has done their roadmap for the number of jobs they want to create and what they're going to call those jobs and those individuals and what their what their competencies and capabilities are which is absolutely ridiculous because at the end of the day, you're a global buyer. Say you're um, a big insurance company um, and you, you need to have people delivering, you know, customer service from every pocket around uh, around the world. You know, you want to buy the same competences and capabilities from every country. You don't want to have different terminologies for every, for every different country because it doesn't make it comparable and easy for you to actually understand what you're getting delivered from every destination so yeah if, if, if you zoom out there that, that's actually an incredible thing because you know you're just sort of chipping away at the beginning now but you zoom out and you fast forward about 20 years and it, it leads to incredible homogeneity of the entire global workforce doesn't it like it has incredible implications when you know and i, I don't know if everyone would necessarily agree to this but it's certainly efficient to have a very standardized workforce right across the globe it's it's quite incredible what what would you say to you know obviously countries and this is the difficulty with global workforce and things that these peos like deal are trying to deal with is um local labor laws local labor conditions local labor expectations are very very different how do you see you know with this sort of increasing homogeneity across the world with sort of standards the local labor laws though it will be it you know Will those ever be standardised because they're they're steeped in such, you know, tradition and 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 um, uh, you know, sort of um, they're really ingrained, aren't they? So, what are your thoughts in terms of uh, like labour laws and standards in that regard, and then also sort of pay? I suppose D does everything eventually become homogenised? Do you think? It's a really, really interesting one. So um, there's some one of the organisations that we're, we're closely aligned with is an organisation called the Open Assembly. So I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they were born from the United States um, and they're all focused on the world of open talent and open talent platforms. Um, NASA is, is one of their sort of like... Um, poster childs in, in the way that NASA has actually used open talent to do some really, really, really incredible work um, into its, its work into, uh, into space. So, um, so they are doing a lot of work on um, how you can have 
global workforces and and how to homogenize um you know some of the some of the labor laws and and how you can um you know this whole subject of you know the uk is an expensive country the us is an expensive country but when you're buying talent and you're actually having talent delivered from different regions you know that the person that's delivering your data and analytics whether they're based in the uk or whether they're based you know in 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 south africa or egypt you know how, how do you ensure that they are treated fairly and being paid paid a fair price for doing the same work as would be delivered somewhere else so i find this a really really fascinating area and where it's going to go um i'm not you know and how quickly it's going to get there I'm, I'm not i'm not completely sure but um the this this is the work of the service providers right now the service providers are working on enabling companies to have teams and individuals delivering from all around the world to to ensure that their, their customers are not falling foul of any of the the labor laws of any given of any given country so um so yeah it's a it's a work in progress it's a really mind-boggling area right now because it is you know it's because it is changing on, on a pin and and the way it's changing now also with the esg agenda is really really interesting so um we are a people industry at the end of the day and i think that as a as a, a people-based industry we absolutely are leading on the social aspects of the ESG agenda. You know, we've got really, really, really good programs in place for diversity, equity, and inclusion within our within our workforces. And I think that we've got an opportunity to position ourselves as being at the avant-garde of, you know, social, um, of the social aspect of the of the ESG um, agenda. But but when we look at that, um, you know, a lot of our buy-side members are are looking at you know, when they actually outsource and when they offshore, they are now looking at applying a DEI and an ESG lens to countries before they choose which service providers they're going to use. So I think, you know, governments around the world are going to have to step up and recognise that they probably do need to reform some of their labour laws uh, and, and some of their, you know, ESG credentials um, if they actually want to be a key player on the global delivery stage because companies it's, are it's funny that you you know you, you mentioned earlier you touched on earlier that you were repositioning the industry to get better recognition of the of the good work you do like what what are your thoughts on the industry as you say is marred by this I think you know far more by laymen as opposed to people that are actually in the industry. People think that outsourcing is exploitation and it's slave labor and it's people you know being paid um, bad uh, salaries in in very poor conditions. And anyone in the industry knows that it's completely the opposite. You know, it's actually an incredible economic opportunity. Generally, the staff are treated enormously well. The facilities are fantastic, um, and it, it's funny. And but that's one end of the of the of the edge. The the other end is unfortunately not any better. And it's you know outsourcing should be banned because it is taking jobs away from the U.S. and um, you know it's it's unfair. And so outsourcing doesn't really get a good rap. However you look at it, do you think that the public will ever sort of acknowledge it? as being a positive force because i think anyone in the industry sees it for what it is which is an incredible positive force and um incredible for esg and 
impact sourcing and doing so much good for the communities that it's within. Um, what are your thoughts in terms of reconciling all of that conflict? Do you know what? It feels like you've just given me the dream question. And um, yeah, so so the, the latest campaign that we are going to be um, promoting across both the GSA um, but also the GT and BSC, and we're working very, very closely with uh, IAOP in the US on on all of this, because um, the UK and US are, are the biggest buy side nations, as well as delivery destinations as well, um, is we're, we're positioning the industry as an industry for good. That's, that's our vision. That's where we're positioning the global technology and business services industry is an industry for good, because that's exactly, you know, what we are, we, we, we're really good. If you look at the ESG agenda, you know, the, the EBIT, we, we're not an industry that, you know, produces huge amounts of hazardous waste. You know, we're not manufacturing. We're, you know, we, we are pretty good at making sure our data centers are as green as possible, you know. So we're, we're working pretty well to the E and environmental part of the ESG agenda. Governance, we've always been very, very good at governance. That's what our industry has been built on, is, is governing relationships and projects and programs. So, um, but because we're a people industry, the S piece is so, so, so important. And yeah, you know, we are ensuring, you know, we have to ensure that there's no modern slavery in our supply chain. We are working to, um, you know, to, to, to bring in more and more impact sourcing into every single uh, arrangement, uh, every single um, contract, so that we can work towards eradicating, you know, poverty you know so the 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 you know we're, we're really focused on social sourcing we're really focused on sustainable sourcing um and i think if we can actually get that messaging you know out much better globally um i think you know the industry will be recognized as being um a, a true global leader in fact an industry that can actually lead other industries to perform better across the entire ESG agenda. So um, so that's our vision. And I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about collaborating with all our partners around the world on, on this positioning. And it's so essential to do it, you know, as you say, especially the SBIT, because it is fundamentally a people business and you need all of the people on board with the mission and they need to be happy and content and, and safe. And, you know, and so it's just so critical, isn't it, um, that everyone is, is, this is a win-win for everyone involved. Um, but, you know, I'm just always amazed at how how sort of maligned the entire industry is from from either side. It, it really can't get a break. So it's difficult in terms of positioning to to dress it up as as the do-gooder, um, even though, you know, it is. And, and just the sort of economic. We, we are actually Outsource Accelerator. We are um, launching a um, impact uh, awards and report. Uh, and it's not completely sort of empirical because that's that's very difficult to do um, but we're trying to at least collate um, accounts and stories and you know qualitative data about uh, impact projects that these outsourcing firms are doing uh, so that at least it's some sort of public record of the work the, the positive work and positive impact that these firms are having and then at least that can be used as a bit of a reference um, for people that that sort of doubt it but it's uh you know it's very difficult isn't it it's very difficult to get that message across where people see it as sort of exploitation 
Yeah, um, I, I think it's it's definitely changing now. And I think, uh, I, I don't want to keep harping on about the pandemic, but I do think it was the result of the pandemic that enabled us to start repositioning the industry in everyone's eyes in a much, much more positive much, much more positive um, light. Um, there's also been a number of different changes that have happened within the UK. So I don't know if you're familiar with the UK Social Value Act, um, but the, 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 the UK government, whenever it goes out to tender now, 10% of the, the points for its um, for evaluating its, um, its tenders are allocated to what social value um, will um, the, 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 the company bring to, to that program and back to the to the government so if if 10 percent of an rfp is now weighted on social value for the the government it's beginning to infiltrate into you know the private sector as well so there's a really increased focus on you know the social value and and unfortunately um it's moving away from the old school corporate social responsibility of you know we're letting our staff have uh, a volunteers day or we're we're going to go and pick litter from the canal and, and things like that they're moving into to much much more impactful social value programs so you know we're, we're fully behind um the work that everest group are doing and their um the, the the clinton foundation which is looking at our industry creating half a million um impact sourcing jobs um by 2027 so i i think personally that we can actually beat that beat that target and i think if the industry you know, collaborates around these sort of goals and understands what impact sourcing is and what's the same definition for impact sourcing and and and, and the same values for impact sourcing. You know, our, our industry can do huge amounts of good and and be recognised for that for that good. But again, impact sourcing means different things for different people. So again, we're working um, with the IAOP on developing uh, an impact sourcing definition and working towards whether we can develop an impact sourcing standard that we can verify that one company's impact worker is the same as another company's impact worker. Um, But at Mm. the moment, it really isn't so. Gosh, it's complicated, isn't it? When you try and standardise everything, one of the one of the standards uh, to come from uh, GSA is the standardisations of terms. Do you want to sort of introduce that? Uh, sorry, well, is it the um, yeah the terms, which is the contract? So, um, do you want to sort of introduce that and the benefits of that and the work that's gone into sort of creating that? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, so one of the things that really kind of has frustrated me and has frustrated everybody within our membership community is how much time and money is wasted on negotiating contracts that really don't need to be negotiated. Of course, the commercials need to be negotiated, but things like, you know, um, you know, the, the, the confidentiality, uh, clauses, the, um, liability provisions, termination rights you know these sort of things should really be pretty industry standard so we've actually it's taken us 18 months and um and it's part of the gsa's contracting work stream but we've had um um a number of representatives from the buy side uh, from general counsel from contract managers but also from the the law firm members and the, the partners actually within these law firms you know we've been working within our contracting work stream to negotiate 
an industry standard contract for professional services and technology services. Um, and um, I didn't think that the law, the law firms would, would get behind this, but they absolutely did. You know, they really also recognise that too much of their time is wasted doing things that they find really quite frustrating, negotiating things that they don't really want to be spending their time on. They want to be freed up to spend their time on m much more sort of like value creating aspects of, of, of the contract. So, yeah, we have um, we have um, taken our, our, our contract and work stream to negotiate coming from the view of the buyer and coming from the view of the service provider and negotiate to actually come to a very balanced, fair contract for the industry to use. So um, it's, it's version one. It's still longer than we wanted it to be. It's still around 40 pages. We really wanted to get it a lot shorter than that, but it is very complete. So we've got um, an industry standard contract that we want the industry to use which is very fair and very balanced. Um, but to ensure that it remains an industry standard contract, we've gone one stage further. So instead of just publishing it via our website, which we have, and it is available for organisations to, to download and use completely free of charge, but to ensure that it's not ever amended, we've actually housed our contract in a completely unique legal technology platform, a platform called Clausify, um, where you can be guaranteed that somebody hasn't amended any part of the contract apart from the, the bits that you want to negotiate. So standard terms are in a platform, they're completely locked, um, and then you can uh, amend the bits that, that are unique to your particular relationship. So how, how long the contract's gonna run for, you know, what the scope of delivery is, all of that is in a traceable um, and a trackable um, part of the platform, but the rest of it you can be guaranteed is completely locked. So we're really excited about this. It's about time our industry had something that was industry standard. You know, they've had industry standard terms in the construction industry for years, and it's about time that our, our, our industry pulled itself together and actually had an industry standard contract. And how have you gone? There's so many sort of things to get right with that. First, you've got to get the sort of technical document right. You've got to get the buy-in of all of the stakeholders, you know, and that's that's got to be like herding cats. Um, but then you've, you've actually got to get sort of adoption by a broad swathe of the community for it to really sort of hit that tipping point. Huh? How, 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 how has it been received and are you seeing adoption? And even, you know, even with the best will in the world, um, these things can maybe take a ton of resources to really get full adoption. Like, how are you managing that? Or are you just hoping that a good document will kind of seed itself and be used and appreciated? Okay, so um, one of my other uh, hats, uh, I guess, which is all related to my to, to, to the work of the GSA, um, is I'm um, a founding member of the Council for Supplier Diversity in the UK. So there's a massive movement towards... Um, towards um, supplier diversity and having more diversity um, in the supply chain. Um, so I think it's this movement to, to for, for big enterprise buyers to recognize that they need to bring more diversity into their supply chain. And a lot of them have got really big mandates for the amount of spend they need to be putting in diverse, diverse suppliers. So I think that movement is really going to help the acceleration of industry standard terms because you cannot have diversity in your supply chain if you carry on being an abusive buyer and force you know, really small companies to work to really unrealistic, you know, um, uh, liability right. provisions and termination rights. So, so we're working with a number of really big enterprise buyers 
uh, on their supplier diversity programs. And I think with them adopting the industry standard terms and, and, and being forerunners, um, we're seeing that as being our route to actually get this adopted um, broadly. Right. And in terms of the contract, what about SLAs, which forms the sort of meat of most, I suppose, disputes and contracts? Are they part of the commercials that is all sort of up, you know, for debate? Or do you see sort of SLAs? Is there some standardization within that and within the expectations? Yeah, so we have a template for the schedule of work. Um, but yes, uh, it is templated but this is obviously part of the commercial negotiation at, at this time. But I think hopefully with um, with the adoption of Clausify, we will be having um, the, the SLAs included in the platform. And obviously, you know, it's all part of the AI, but hopefully over time we'll be able to create some patterns uh, and see what the, the, the framework for different SLAs actually are and be able to share share that. So this information is collected anonymously within the platform, but will enable us to actually create a little bit of benchmarking for the industry. So again, we can start making that a lot fairer as well. Mm. Well done. And so you are, you know, both of those um, are member funded and I suppose as a result, kind of member driven. And we were saying that, you know, some members sort of have to be kind of, uh, they have to be sold the benefits of more standardization because it's probably more, there's more competitive advantage if, if everyone's doing their own thing. Um, so how do you um, manage that tension between kind of members always wanting to one-up um, their competitors versus getting collaboration on things? I think it's still, it all comes back to this positioning of an industry for good. You know, the industry is huge. It's growing. I think the countries now recognise that they don't need to be competing with each other. And the service providers are recognising that there's benefit in collaboration rather than just competition. So we're, we're seeing a, a sea change at last that the industry is working together, is collaborating a lot, lot more. And they recognise that the industry will grow and their, their, their service providers and, and the delivery destinations will grow if they actually come together and work towards a common good um, as, a, as opposed to constantly seeing each other as competitors and, and competing with each other. So, so at last, an industry that is built on collaboration is actually beginning to collaborate. So, Well done. And um, AI, it's that conversation that everyone's talking about at the moment, isn't it? And I think sort of no less the outsourcing industry. Um, the, a lot of the bigger players doing a lot of sort of higher repetition tasks um, are sort of understandably a little bit worried about the march of AI. Um, it, it, none of it really seemed that relevant or that real until maybe three to six months ago. But um, are you sort of with your ear to the ground, do you see how these bigger players are responding? They're worried um, because, you know, I've certainly heard that they are really quite concerned about the potential of this AI and sort of agent bots to do a lot of the work, which might undermine their, their value proposition. Have you got any views on that? Uh, well, it's a program of work that we've just kicked off on the Global Council, actually, is to really look at what impact um, generative AI and AI is going to actually have on the industry. And of course, there is 
it is going to change the industry, um, but it's going to change the industry in the way that uh, robotic process automation changed the industry. You know, um, there's still it's going to be a requirement for people to do a lot of the work and to deliver a lot of the processes. So, you know, AI will improve those processes and improve um, insights and analytics, um, and it will certainly change those processes. But we do not believe that it's going to eradicate the need for people. It's going to it's going to um, augment their daily jobs um, rather than replace. So one of the programs that we've had in place is, is a program focused on responsible automation. So that's just ensuring that, you know, individuals that are doing jobs and have roles that are now being automated, that they are upskilled, that there are skills convergence programs that ensure that individuals and professions are not left by the wayside, but that they are, you know, redeveloped and um, and reskilled for, for the jobs of the future. So, you know, there's been talk for, for years about, you know, the role of the accountant um, disappearing because of technology and, and, and automation. So, you know, we've been working on programs which are skill convergence programs. That means that the accountant is reskilled to be uh, a data analyst, where there aren't anywhere near enough data analysts in the world. Um, mm. But the mindset and the skill set from an accountant can can quite quite easily be morphed to to the skill sets of a data analyst. So we'll be working on programs like that for responsible um, use of AI, just to ensure there's constant reskilling and upskilling of individuals where AI is going to impact their day to day jobs. There's constant change, isn't there? And but you know, one thing that seems to hold true is like it, everything's expanding. Like employment is. Uh, staying strong everything's continually expanding it's just crazy isn't it you know as soon as you find automation there's a million more jobs to do uh, more efficiently it never seems to end does it which i suppose is some consolation for for industry anyway yeah absolutely but we've all got to be very mindful of the changes that are actually happening and um, be progressive with these with these changes so um yeah again that's where it needs to be a, a global endeavor for the industry to look at how AI can be positively embraced and ethically used. And, and that's not to be done by each nation individually. That's again, it needs to be a global um, initiative. And no one really, no one's really a high school aiming to really, you know, um, devote their lives to the outsourcing industry. What, what's your story, Kerry? How did you get into, you know, such a position like championing um, all these benefits of the industry? Yeah, we always say that um, outsourcing is an accidental profession. You don't go to school or go to university and go, I want to work in outsourcing. So the vast majority of people that have worked on them, you know, on the council of the GSA with me have all fallen into the industry um, accidentally uh, and stayed in it because they absolutely love it. And my story is the same. So um, I, I did a degree in modern languages and information systems. I started working in technology and didn't really love doing the, the technology um, process piece. Um, I was working for an, an insurance company in the UK. Um, so somebody said to me, oh, you know, you're really good at talking about technology so um, you should get into high-tech PR so uh, I looked into that and I did get into the high-tech um, PR industry uh, and from that I um, um, yeah I had my own PR consultancy um, did a lot of work on um, payment by results and how to improve the reputation of the PR industry uh, and in doing that um, I started uh, working for the National Outsourcing Association as one of the the clients 
um, of, of my PR agency and then ended up working with lots and lots of companies working in the outsourcing space. And anyway, uh, eventually mm. ended up coming on board as the communications director for the association and then uh, moved up to chief exec. Um, but my role is really still about, it's, it's very much a PR role. It's about the vision of the industry and evangelizing the benefits of the industry and the thought leadership of the industry. So, um, so yeah, that was my, that's my background. What a journey. What a journey. And Kerry, as we leave it then, what are your thoughts for the future? I assume it's it's very positive, but you know, what are you really looking for in the next sort of five to 20 years for this industry? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, it's going to carry on growing. My dream is that it gets recognized as being the industry for good, um, but it's, it's recognized as a, as a profession that people want to get into um, and that um, it's an industry that doesn't just deliver business value, um, but it delivers business value, but it actually delivers, you know, so much social um, social benefits. So, you know, our, our industry can work to eradicate poverty and, and, and you know, I, I'd love it to be recognised as, as an industry that does so much good. Fantastic. Kerry, so if people want to learn more, obviously you're involved in so many things, so I'll leave it over to you, but if people want to learn more or, or find resources or get in contact, how can they do that? Yeah, so um, Kerry Hallard um, on LinkedIn um, or GSA-UK on LinkedIn. Um, but the website is gsa-uk.com um, or gtbsc.org. So, um, yeah, you can find all of our contact details and information on those websites. Uh, and LinkedIn is my preferred social media platform. So please link in with me. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Kerry. Thank you so much for having me. That was Kerry Hallard. She is the CEO of Global Sourcing Association and also the chair of Global Technology and Business Services Council. As always, if you're on any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to send us an email, just drop us a line to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.